It is so good to be back in the house of the Lord this Sabbath morning. I'd like to welcome all those that are joining us on the web. We know that we have some people that watch us from Switzerland, from Kenya, from many parts of the world. We welcome you into our home this morning, Full Gospel Seventh-day Baptist. It's good to worship with you, to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ around the world because we are joined by the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. That one course said, clothe me in white. Clothe me in white. How does he clothe us in white? By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. By the precious blood of Christ, our sins are washed whiter than snow, it says. Whiter than snow. We are forgiven through Christ. That white piece of cloth hanging on the cross is a signal of that, or symbolism of that, that because of the blood that He shed, we can be made white. Our sins are gone, washed away. Amen? Again, uh, it's probably, uh, if I'd have been here last week, you might not have been able to hear me, <laughs> because I was, uh, had a very bad sore throat, and had it in the head and the chest, so uh, I might have been here, but I might not have sounded too good, so... Anyway, so anyway, it's good to be back this morning. Uh, you're going to receive the message this morning that you didn't get last week. I titled it True Devotion. We're going to be reading from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It's going to be the New Living Translation this morning. Um, probably going to at least have a, one more sermon from Ruth. Uh, such a, an amazing, wonderful story of God's love and God's provision that we find in the book of Ruth. So hear the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. Now, in that day, that was not looked upon with favor for an Israelite to marry one of a foreign nation. They didn't, God didn't want their sons to marry the women of the foreigners, but they did. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Milan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took, to the, took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way... Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. It's kind of, a, she's, in my way of thinking, she's praying a prayer over them. May the Lord reward you for your kindness. Thank you for the way that you've treated my sons. Thank you for the way that you've treated me, for your love for my sons and your love for me. We, I thank you for that. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, 
Why should you go on with me? Can I still birth two other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. She's saying, you have youth on your side. Look at me, I am old. I am old, I'm beyond the years. Because the Lord Himself has raised His fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Do not ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. May God add His blessings to the hearing and reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for the many stories You have given us in, the, in, in Your word to reveal Your relationship with mankind, to reveal Your love for man, and to reveal Your love or their love for You. And Father, the love that uh, Your people had for one another. And Father, I pray that we would just walk in Your grace, that we would walk in Your love. Father, that we would share Your love with all those that we meet. And Father, may Your Spirit be present today. Father, that You would give us the words that You would have us to receive. Lord, and as that one song said, listen to our hearts. Father, may our hearts be true to You. May our hearts be devoted to You, Father. May we serve You faithfully. In Jesus' name, Amen. The story of Ruth begins with Many facts. There's a lot of facts given in this first chapter. The first fact, the judges ruled the land in that day. And that there was a famine in the land. And that there was a certain man of Bethlehem that went to Moab with his wife and his two sons. They were Ephratites. And the fact that Elimelech and his two sons, both passed away, or all three passed away leaving Naomi with only her daughters-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. And they dwelt there for about ten years. It's fact that it was during that period when the judges ruled in Israel, meaning that they did not yet have a king. They had not yet called on Saul to be the king. So they was ruled by judges that were appointed to watch over. If you remember, if you've read the story when Moses and the Israelites came out of Egypt and as they encamped, that Moses sat to judge the people. Remember? And he would sit there before the people and he would be their judge with their disputes or whatever they had going on. And remember how many came out of Egypt? Over a million so there Moses would sit and judge the people from daylight till dark. 
it was too much for one man. And Jethro, his father-in-law, went to Moses and says, this is Ronnie's paraphrase, this is crazy. You cannot continue with this. It's too much for you. You need to appoint judges. You need to have judges over 50 and judges over hundreds and bring only the most difficult cases to you. But let the judges rule over the people. So this continued then for many years. So Israelite was still under that period of judges where they ruled the land. Or they was, you know, making decisions for the people. It was considered a very dark period in the history of Israel. Very dark. It was a time where there was much division, there was much cruelty, there was apostasy, there was civil war, there was national disgrace. And Karen kind of took a little bit of what I was going to, but I'm going to go ahead and go ahead there anyway. Because there are some judges in this nation that have made some horrible decisions. As he just spoke of in New York City, or New York State rather, I'm sorry, the state of New York. We're going to call them judges. Leaders in that state have made some decisions that may bring the wrath of God upon that state. And if you don't think God can send His wrath upon a state, there was the little town of Bethlehem, known as the city of bread, had a famine, but 40 miles away, they had bread. 40 miles away in Moab, they had bread. That's why Elimelech and his family went there. So God will punish a nation. They will one day answer for the decisions that they have made. It is hard to imagine that a woman can be pregnant, she could be scheduled to give birth tomorrow morning. Have a cesarean and give birth tomorrow morning, but on the way decide, I don't want this baby, and go the other direction to an abortion clinic and kill that child. That's how extreme it is in New York because of the decision made there this past week. The day before that child could be born, the mother could kill that child. It is outright murder. I'm sorry, I just had to go there. Get, it, it, it should furiate us. It should furiate every Christian upon the, this, in this nation or upon this planet. It should furiate us that they have done something like this. It is this outright murder as Scott has said. It is murder. And if, if you are soft on abortion, we need to, anybody that's soft on abortion that calls themselves a Christian, they better ask God to forgive them. Because it is murder. As Karen said, as far as I'm concerned, and I hope you too, that from the time of conception, it is life. And that life is in God's hands, not man's hands. All abortion is wrong, whether it is at the first month or the ninth month. It is murdering a life. It is God's decision of when a life should end, not man's. Some of the judges that ruled in that time included men like Gideon, Deborah, Samuel, Samson. We know what kind of life Samson lived. So it tells you what kind of judges and how far they had declined. There was a famine. As I said, God can decide that I'm not going to send rain on the land. I'm going to dry up their 
plants. I'm going to dry up their trees. I'm going to dry up the riverbeds. Nothing's going to flourish. Why? Because of their unfaithfulness. God doesn't bring judgment upon the land because they're walking faithfully with Him. It's because of their unfaithfulness. In Leviticus 26, 17-21, God says, I will set My face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will reign over you. And listen, He says, and you, will, you shall flee when no one pursues you. They are going to be so fearful that they will flee when no one is pursuing them. And after all this, if you do not obey Me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce. God can cause this to happen. Your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. My friends, that is what brings forth a famine. There's no bread to eat. There's no vegetables, no fruit to eat because God can bring forth a famine. He says, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. God may send a plague upon a state or a nation because of their unwillingness to obey Him, because of their unwillingness to walk in their ways. The famine was brought upon Bethlehem, upon the land of Judah, because of unfaithfulness. I'm not saying that Elimelech and Naomi and their sons were unfaithful. But the famine or the judgment that comes upon a land affects the righteous and the unrighteous. The judgment that could come upon this land will affect the righteous and the unrighteous if God chooses to send a judgment. But they had to leave. They needed to survive. If you are living in a city or a town that is so economically depressed that you can't even afford to buy food, what are you going to do? You're going to do what many people have done. They're going to pack up and they're going to move to another city. They're going to move to another town. Many people today, you know, they have lost jobs. Uh, their factory has closed down or they got whatever. Their cause, they had no means to support themselves. They had no finances to be able to go to the grocery store. What are they going to do? They're going to move to another area where they hear that there are many jobs or good jobs where they'll be able to support their family. Many years ago, back in the early 80s, or mid-80s I should say, the railroad closed down a couple areas, a couple locations, and they transferred men in. Why? Because they was already living in an area economically depressed, so there was no jobs there, so they came with their jobs to Cumberland, Maryland. Because they, there was a famine in their area, if you will. A type of famine. Yeah, maybe the rain was still coming, but there was a type of famine in their lives. They no longer had the means to support their family. Who were the people of Moab? Who were these people that they went to live with? You're going to say, well, they were the Moabites. Yeah, I know that. They were the Moabites. But who were they? They were descendants of Abraham's nephew, Lot. In Genesis 19, 
30 through 38. It says, Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. <clears throat> now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in to her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you may go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger also arose and went into him. And he did not know when she lay down with him or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He was the father of the Moabites to this day, or is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Amah. And he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So there is where the descendants or the people of Moab came from. Descendants of Lot, the daughters of Lot. They believed that the world in, in their eyes had come to an end. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember what happened to Lot's wife, she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. Because God told them, leave and don't look back. She disobeyed. So it was Lot Karen says, I probably would have too. Lot and his two daughters. So they, they wanted to preserve their father's lineage. He said, we're the only ones left. Moab had been a constant thorn in the side of Israel. They were always at odds with one another. How humbling it would have been to have to flee your nation and go live in the land of Moab if you was an Israelite. How humbling to go into that country and live among them, those people that you really did not care for in your heart. But while they were there, the story tells. You know, oftentimes I have a number of illustrations, but today's story, I mean, you, you read that story, it could, it could happen to anybody. It could happen today in today's society, in our lives today. It's things that happened to the normal, typical family. Tragedy struck, didn't it? Tragedy struck while they were living in Moab. Elimelech passed away. It doesn't say that he was unfaithful, that God struck him down. It doesn't say that his sons were unfaithful and God struck him down. You know, some may be tempted to say, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow this to happen to Naomi and her family? Some may even say, why did He cause it to happen? It doesn't say that God caused their death. It just simply says they died. It could be that they had heart disease. I mean, they were human, just like us, right? Some men or some women have things that happen. They'll have heart disease or whatever. They may die young. And sometimes it's hereditary. So maybe his sons had the same thing. Maybe they had heart disease. I don't know. It doesn't say that God 
caused them to die or struck them dead. They just simply died, right? You know, there's a little bit of resemblance to the story that you find in Ruth to the one you find in Job. It may not be quite as severe. We know that in Job's account, he lost all that he had but his wife in one day. In one day, he loses all of his children and uh, daughter and son-in-law. I'll put that together in one word. All in one day. They were having a party. They were celebrating. And they were all killed by one disaster. Lost all of his livestock and his herds. Everything in one day. Now, Naomi might disagree with me. Because in her eyes, I'm sure that that was an extremely severe tragedy to strike her and her family. Losing her husband and both of her sons. She had no means of support because all the men in her life were gone. She would have been left to begging. Whenever some people are struck with a tragic loss in their lives, spiritually they may get to the place where they even deny God, claiming that if there was a God, He wouldn't have let this happen to me. Just be honest. That's the way some people would feel. Why? God, if you were really there, why would you have let this happen to me? Of course, oftentimes, anger sets in. Yeah, we may even get mad at God for allowing this to happen. Naomi got angry. In verse 20, after she returned, says, Don't call me Naomi. She responded, Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has struck such trage- sent such tragedy upon me? You know what? If you're angry with God, you might as well tell Him, right? Because He already knows. He knows our heart. So you might as well tell Him. And then help him, or ask him to help you get over it. That's what we ought to do. But you know, even though she was angry, I do not believe that she had given up on God. I do not believe that she denied God. I do not believe that she was unfaithful. I believe that she took God very serious. I believe that there was a great presence of God in their lives. I believe that she still believed that He was the Creator, the Sustainer of life. I believe that she prayed and probably fasted. I believe that she read the Word. I believe she lived a faithful life. And I believe that Ruth and Orpah witnessed their mother-in-law living before God. I believe they saw her praying to God. I believe they saw her reading His Word. I believe they experienced the love of God through Naomi. I truly believe that. Why else would they have all why would they have broken down in tears when Naomi said, Turn, go home. Go back to your own family. I will not bear more children. Go home to your families. Go to your families and your gods. Why else would they have wept bitterly if they had not loved her or experienced the love from Naomi? Ruth and Orpah was at a crossroads in their lives. As I said, they have witnessed one serving the one true God. 
Now they had to make a decision for themselves. They're traveling down that road. They're going with their mother-in-law. They're heading back to Judah. And she stops. Says, turn and go home. They were at a point, they were at that crossroads, if you will, had to make a decision. Are you going to go on with Naomi? Or are you going to listen to Naomi and go back? Orpah decided to go back. But Ruth chose God. Praise the Lord that Ruth chose God. I believe that Naomi's life impacted Ruth in such a way that she saw the love of God. She witnessed God through her mother-in-law. Isn't it amazing that we have a foreigner, a Moabitess, that says to her mother-in-law, entreat me not to leave you or to go back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. My friends, that's the day that Ruth chose God. When she said, your God, the one true God, the creator of the universe, will be my God. She was so devoted. That is true devotion. So devoted that she says, where you die, I will die. My friends, that's the devotion that we need in marriages today. And people make that proclamation. But how often that they stray from that proclamation. That's what we should be saying to our spouses. Till death do us part. I will be faithful to you. I will live with you. Where you go, I will go. Till death do us part. And that's the devotion that we need to God also. Till death do us part. We need to be faithful. True devotion. Where you die, I will die. Webster's Dictionary says devotion is to take a vow, to make a pledge, to remain true to a partner or one that you make that vow unto, to uphold the law, to honor the Word of God. And there should be no surprise that devotion is related to a verb. It's to act, to act taking a vow. Ruth is an example of how God can change a life and take it in a direction that He has foreordained. We see God working out His perfect plan in Ruth's life. We'll get to more of some of that next week. But God will do the same thing for all of His children. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. My friends, I believe, you know, Naomi and Ruth and all of them may have thought at some point in their lives when they were going through all this tragedy that how's things ever going to work out? But they trusted God. They were faithful to God. And we know, and we'll get into that more next week, how God worked things out for the good of Ruth and Naomi and their family. I'm going to turn to Matthew. I didn't put this one in the... There, so you won't have it up on the screen. And this is, guess, I guess, a preview of what we'll get into next week. In the first chapter of Matthew, when it's speaking of the genealogy of Christ Jesus, beginning with root, uh, verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz. Of course, we all know that Ruth goes 
back with her mother-in-law and goes with Boaz, marries Boaz. But Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David. Imagine that, a Moabitess who chose God on the road back to Bethlehem was blessed to be the great-grandmother of King David through whom the Christ would come. God can work all things out together for good. To those who are truly devoted, those who are faithful, faithful to walk in His ways, faithful to serve Him, faithful to trust in Him. When we are devoted, we will trust. Ruth had no idea what lay in her future. But I believe she followed the path that God, I believe that God was drawing her and I believe she answered faithfully. True devotion. Are we that devoted in our walk with God? Are we so devoted that no matter what happens, no matter what tragedy may strike, no matter what it may look like financially, physically, or whatever may come, are we so devoted we say, Lord, I just trust in Thee that You will work these things out. Or will we get angry? Will we deny Him? Will we turn from Him? I pray that we would all continue to say, Yes, Lord, I will follow. I will be devoted. Amen?